Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. So on Wednesday, Paul left Athens and headed for Corinth. Corinth is 54 miles west of Athens, about an hour's drive. Corinth, of all the churches St. Paul founded, the Corinthian church posed the greatest challenges, both during its foundation and as it developed during Paul's lifetime. It's AD 50. Paul will spend 18 months in Corinth, far longer than he spent anywhere else. In AD 50, the city of Corinth was not only an exceedingly prosperous double seaport town, but it was the political and economic capital of Achaia, eclipsing Athens, which had been in decline since its defeat by the Roman general Sulla in 88 BC. Now, because of its vibrant maritime trade, Corinth hosted a large transient population from the many cultures that surrounded the Mediterranean. And as one would expect, those cultures exerted significant social, religious, political, and economic influences on the resident population. In Corinth, temples to Aphrodite, Apollo, Poseidon, Hermes, Asclepius, and Isis coexisted with a Jewish synagogue, at least one, perhaps many more, and with the embryonic Christian house churches that Paul formed during his time in Corinth. In addition, Corinth catered to hundreds, if not thousands, of sailors, merchants, and traveling salesmen, and a whole host of conmen, all of whom spent their money freely while in town, and, as we might expect, immorality flourished. Corinth also hosted the biennial Isthmian Games, one of the Panhellenic Games of ancient Greece. The Isthmian Games were held the year before and the year after the Olympic Games, while the Pythian Games were held during the third year of the Olympiad cycle. Since its origin in the 5th century BC, the Isthmian Games, dedicated to the god Poseidon, were wildly popular and they drew tens of thousands of tourists to Corinth every other year, rivaling the Olympic Games themselves. So to understand the Corinthian church and the challenges it faced, we first have to understand Corinth itself. And that's what we are about to do. Corinth was on the isthmus linking the mainland of Greece to the Peloponnesian Peninsula. It linked the Saronic Gulf on the east to the Gulf of Corinth on the west, with ultimately a canal connecting the two, but not yet in Paul's day. In fact, they tried to dig a canal during the time of Julius Caesar, but it wasn't actually accomplished until the 19th century, the 18th hundreds. Well, what a place it was. Rather than have a canal to sail ships through, it had a diokolos, a, like a, a small road, maybe 15 to 20 feet wide, with two tracks carved in it. And ships would come in 
from the Saronic Gulf, unload their cargo, it will be hauled across the isthmus and put back on ships on the Gulf of Corinth. And on they would go. Why do that? It was a treacherous sea route and a long sea route to get around the Peloponnese. So instead, cut across the isthmus. So Corinth was altogether an extraordinary place and a place where Paul could truly spread the gospel because of the trade that went through Corinth from both directions. So we put into Acts chapter 18 and we begin to read. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because the emperor Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Why? Because of instigations by Christus. Well, that would be Christ. The Christians in Rome were causing trouble. So, in most people's mind, Christians were just a minor sect of Judaism, and they were all put out of Rome. So all the Jews are kicked out. So Aquila and Priscilla go to Corinth to sit out the banishment. You know, these things happen. Eventually Claudius will die and the Jews will go back to Rome. And indeed, Aquila and Priscilla do, because when Paul writes an epistle to the church in Rome in AD 57, only seven years later, Priscilla and Aquila are back in Rome. But for now, they're in Corinth, sitting out the expulsion, the banishment from Rome. Now, Paul went to see them. So when Paul got to Corinth, he walked through the Agora, the marketplace, just to get a lay, the lay of the land, to meet some people, and see how the town was operating because he had never been there. So he went walking through the Agora, and he met Aquila and Priscilla. He what? went to see them. He saw their shop. They were tent makers. That is, people who worked in leather, uh, people who repaired sails, for example. Good business to be in in Corinth with all the ships coming and going. And because Paul was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Now, Paul didn't need a job. Paul, I argue, was financially independent. Paul self-funded most of his travel and the travel of those with him. But Paul, like every Jewish boy, learned a trade because every Jew knows that you might have a beautiful home in Beverly Hills, a condo on Maui, and a flat in London. But all of that can disappear in the blink of an eye. Witness Berlin in 1939. So every Jewish boy learned a trade, a way to feed himself if things got bad. Paul learned this trade of tent making or working in leather and, and heavy cloth. He saw the shop and he struck up a conversation. And they said, would you like to work? Boy, we have a lot, a lot to do here. We've got a big backlog. Would you like to work with us a bit? So Paul said, sure, I'd love to. Paul works with Priscilla and Aquila as an entree into the community 
in Corinth. Brilliant move on Paul's part. Now, every day he worked there, he met people as they came by, he talked with them, and every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Finally, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Remember, they stayed behind in Berea. They finished up the work there. They came to Corinth. Paul devoted himself at that point exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So once Silas and Timothy arrive, Paul is no longer working in the shop with Aquila and Priscilla. He's now teaching full time. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. So Paul left the synagogue. And get this, he went next door to the house of Titus Justice, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of them, of the Corinthians who heard him, believed and they were baptized. So Paul begins in the synagogue. He doesn't last very long, but the synagogue ruler, the archisynagogus, the chairman of the board of the synagogue, and his family became believers. So Paul takes his little batch of believers, including the former chairman of the board, and goes next door to the house of Titus Justice and opened the windows and preached loudly. <laughs> Don't you just love that? That is so like Paul. But, you know, the people in the synagogue, they were really ticked off at Paul. And one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Well, we've followed Paul from his time as a persecutor in Jerusalem, a persecutor of the church, the leading persecutor, on the road to Damascus to round up believers in Damascus, and we followed him on his missionary journeys. Have we ever seen Paul being afraid? Have we ever seen Paul zipping it up and being silent? Can't imagine Paul being silent. But here in Corinth, he felt threatened. He felt that he might be killed. He was afraid. And he considered shutting the whole thing down and moving on. But the Lord said to him in a vision at night, a dream perhaps, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you. I have many people in this city. Paul truly felt in danger for his life. So Paul made a promise. He made a promise to God, a promise to Christ. He took a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow, Numbers chapter 6. A vow of separation to God. Not from people, but to God. During the term of a Nazarite vow, which typically would be a week or two, you focus solely on God. Solely. Now, there are a handful of lifelong Nazarites in the Bible. For example, Samson 
was a lifelong Nazarite. That didn't work out too well. John the Baptist was a lifelong Nazarite. And a couple more, but not many. But anyone can take a Nazarite vow for a brief period of time. Think of it as a retreat time with God. So Paul took that Nazarite vow. How do we know? Because later, Paul will go to Jerusalem to make the offerings that are required when you end a Nazarite vow. Here's where he took it, here in Corinth. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, 18 months, teaching them the word of God. Now, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. So he left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titus Justice, opened the windows and preached loudly. The chairman of the board, Crispus, came with Paul, went with Paul. So they elect a new chairman of the board. What are we gonna do about this guy? He is a total pain in the butt. He's next door preaching loudly while we're trying to have our, have our meetings here. I know. Let's sue him. We'll take him to court. So that's what they do. They brought him into court. This man, they charge, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Now, just as Paul was about to speak up, Gallio, the proconsul, said to the Jews from the synagogue, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own religious law, settle the matter yourselves. I'll not be a judge in such things. And he had them ejected from the court. And that was exactly the right thing to do. Gallio made the right decision. You don't come here with those kind of charges and waste my time and the time of this court on these interreligious problems. That's not what I'm here for. Bailiff, throw them out. So the bailiff threw them out. And they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, that is, the new chairman of the board, the one who decided, made the decision to take Paul to court. They turned on him outside the court and they beat him in front of the court. <laughs> They get outside, they're thrown out by the bailiff, and they said to Sosthenes, what were you thinking? You humiliated us in there in front of everybody. What's wrong with you? And somebody slapped him upside the head. Another pushed him, and somebody knelt down behind him, and Sosthenes toppled over, and they kicked him, and they beat on him, and then they walked off. Gallio, the judge, the proconsul, showed no concern, whatever. Ah, crazy Jews, he said. So Paul never had a chance to say anything. Now he gets up, he walks out of the court, and here's Sosthenes lying on the ground, all beaten up. Paul went over to him and kicked him in the head. No, he didn't. Paul went over to him and said, look at you. I think they broke your nose. Here, let me help you up. He said, don't worry about it. It happens to me all the time. And he brushed him off and uh, off they went together. So whatever happened here? They all turned on Sosthenes and beat him in front of the court. Well, if we turn over to 1 Corinthians, Paul writes 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. 
And at the very beginning, he writes, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. Sosthenes, the synagogue leader who took Paul to court in Corinth, is now with Paul in Ephesus. Sosthenes becomes a believer too. How cool is that? <laughs> well, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, 18 months in total. And then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, back home to Syrian Antioch, his home church, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sancria because of a vow he had taken. That's the Nazarite vow, Numbers chapter 6. When you end the vow, you cut the hair that grew during the time of the vow, and that becomes part of your offering to God, symbolic of the time that you spent with God. So here he ends that Nazarite vow at Sancria. Sancria is the harbor on the east coast of the Isthmus. And we've been there when we travel to Corinth. We spent a whole day in Corinth when we travel in the footsteps of Paul. And I've actually had my hair cut standing in the water at Sancria by my wife, Anna, as everyone looked on. It was so much fun getting my hair cut at Sancria, just like Paul. Well, I didn't have that much hair to cut, but it was fun. So they arrived at Ephesus. So from the east coast of the Isthmus, they sailed directly to Ephesus, the major hub on the west coast of Asia Minor. They get to Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went to the synagogue. He reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time, he, he said, no, I'm sorry, I can't. I have an appointment. He left. He said, I'll come back if it's God's will. So he set sail from Ephesus. And then when he landed at Caesarea Maritima, he went and greeted the brothers in the church there. And then he went north to Syrian Antioch. Now, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place through the region of Galatia and Phrygia. He traveled, retracing the unplanned second missionary journey through Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples there. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, Egypt, another one of the major hubs and a major city in the Roman Empire, he came to Ephesus, a Jew named Apollos. He was a very learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Philo of Alexandria, who lived during this time, had a school of rhetoric in Alexandria, and I would bet Apollos attended that school. He was a highly educated man, thorough knowledge of scripture, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, although he only knew about the baptism of John. So he didn't know that Jesus had been arrested, tried, crucified, buried, and raised. He only knew about Jesus' baptism by John and perhaps about Jesus' public ministry in Galilee. But he spoke eloquently about it. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they said to one another, 
you know, he he's right on target with what he's saying, but he doesn't know what happened after the public ministry. So they invited him to their home. They met him at the door of the synagogue and they spoke with him and said, you know, you, you, you're a wonderful speaker and uh, we'd like to talk with you more about this. Would you like to come to our, our home for dinner tonight? Sure, I'd love to, he said. So he went with them and during dinner, they explained to him the way of God more adequately. You were exactly right in what you said about the Lord Jesus. But in AD 32, now here we are in AD 52, 20 years later. He was arrested in 32, tried, crucified. He was crucified? Yes. Buried? Yes. And you say resurrected? Yes, he was. And oh, I bet they talked for a long time about that. And Apollos was convinced. Well, he wanted to go to Achaia. And the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. That is over in Corinth. He wanted to go to Corinth, to the next hub west. They all, all the brothers encouraged him and sent him off. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So we have some good things happening there in Ephesus. But Paul passed right on through. He spoke to a few people, not very many, but he had to get back home. Now, Paul's on the way back across Asia Minor from east to west. And Paul will arrive in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, Paul will make a discovery. All this time, Paul has been traveling on the first and second missionary journeys, going from town to town, city to city, preaching the gospel, forming embryonic churches, putting leadership in place, and moving on. It was very effective, but it was not very efficient. And when Paul was in Ephesus during this brief time in transit, Paul thought to himself, you know, I've been doing this all wrong. What I should do is come back to Ephesus, stay put and preach here and let people come to me, the major hub for maritime trade, all these people passing through. And that's what Paul planned to do. So next time, Monday, we'll be with Paul in Ephesus. Have a blessed Easter, and we thank God for it, and that's for sure, and I will see you back on Monday. Bye-bye now, gang. See you then.